you have your Bibles, please turn to the Gospel of John, not to be confused with Matthew, Mark, or Luke, the other Gospels as you're aware. Does anyone know, church, do you know what Gospel means? Good news. The good. This is the good news of Jesus. And there are four Gospels, four perspectives, if you will, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they all come at Jesus' life from a little bit different angle. It's kind of like if we were four of us were standing outside and an accident took place and the police came to ask a report of what happened, well, if we were standing in different areas or just by our own differences of our personalities, we'd have four different perspectives. One of us would maybe focus on the car that was coming from the right more. Some would focus on the car on the left. Some would focus on the dog that ran between them. Whatever it is, we'd have these different perspectives. And that's kind of what we see with the four different Gospels. And so we finished Habakkuk, and I know some of you barely got through that. And so I'm thankful that you uh, hung in there with me. It felt like it was a, a good study. And as I promised, we'd be back in the New Testament, and for whatever reason, in God's majesty and sovereignty, has decided that we're going to go through the book of John. And since you know that I do not preach chapters generally at a time, or multiple chapters at a time, we're going to be in John a long time. That doesn't mean we won't take breaks, but we're going to get through, Lord willing, the Gospel of John together. Now, some of you should be familiar with John. This is the same John who wrote 1 John. Pop quiz. First John, for those of you who were here, if someone were to ask you, what is First John about? What three words might you say as a congregation that would help them understand First John? Good. Oh, we're starting to forget. <laughs> Light, love, and life. That was a summary of First John. So you'll remember before that John was very close to Jesus. Some would say Jesus' best friend here on earth. Very close to him. So... There's no one better for us to get a glimpse into Jesus' life. Now again, John's letter was specifically, 1 John was to specifically to churches that we could go through and kind of pull things out. Well, this is going to talk about Jesus' life, and I think it's important for us as a church to be with Jesus for a while. We're going to be with Jesus, we're going to watch his life, and we're going to try to learn. This letter was probably written right around 70 AD, a little before, a little after, depends on who you ask. The reason that date is important is that's when the temple was destroyed. Do you know, have you heard of the temple before? The temple was important, especially for the Old Testament, as it was the place where God's presence would be in the Holy of Holies, and the people would go there to worship. Well, that temple gets destroyed and ultimately is not needed anymore because we have the temple of the Holy Spirit here worshiping in us, and we have direct access to the Father because of the Holy Spirit and because of what Jesus has done. So as we work through John, as you can see with our... It's not up there on the photo now, but as you can see on the front of the bulletin, the, the catchphrase, if you will, is in awe of the sun. And I don't mean the S-U-N, I mean the S-O-N. John's point is he's going to try to prove to us, he's going to try to explain that Jesus is God. How many of you have heard that before, that Jesus is God? Jesus is God. Okay. So as we walk through this, and I think it's going to be fun, we are going to come face to face with all that the Son is, as far as his divinity goes. Now, we can't fully understand it, but we're going to see in great detail, and we're going to also see why that's important. So, 
Let's jump straight into the text, starting in verse 1, and work through it together. The Gospel according to John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right off the, get, right off the bat, you should see Genesis 1, 1 through 3. In your mind, you should see Genesis 1 as soon as it says, in the beginning. You can turn quickly with me to Genesis chapter 1, or you can listen. It may be on the screen, may not. But listen to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Pretty straightforward. What John's trying to do right off the bat is he's trying to get your mind back there. You need to be thinking about Genesis 1. So he says, in the beginning. This word for beginning is actually pretty interesting. It just doesn't mean just the the start. It actually has in it, the way it could be translated other ways, is kind of like um, the main idea. So, in one sense, it's in the beginning when things started. But it's also saying, John's kind of doing a play on words here, and he's saying, the most important thing from the beginning, the main point, the main thought of all life starts at the beginning and was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Now the Word, Logos, Logos, depending on how you like to pronounce it, this is an idea, again, you remember John, his original audience being those who were Greek, the idea was trying to find knowledge. What he's saying here is all knowledge is found in this one who's the Word. Everything that we need is found in the Word. So in the beginning was the Word. Now what's interesting about this Word is the Word was with God. So now you have God and the Word. You're having both there. Now this isn't alongside of, this is in this, in this term, this is as close as possible. This is the idea of face-to-face. So some would say that right here cannot possibly mean anybody else because to be face with face to face with God in the beginning because it says he was with God in the beginning was the word not is the word so was the word face to face with God who could this possibly be who could this possibly be he was with God and the word was God. The Word was God. Now what? Some groups, like Mormons, or Jehovah's Witness, or other groups will tell you, is that this can't be the proper translation. Because John is clear right from the get-go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. You could stop there and say, okay, so the Word was there in the beginning. Maybe it's something different. But then the word actually was God. What they'll do is they'll change the translation and they'll say, the word was a God. They'll change the translation to say, and the word was a God. Because to say that the word was with God and the word was God, now you have God and the word. Help me out with math here. God, how many is that? And the word, how many is that? Two. Two. But that's a problem. That's two. Look look at what, uh, let's say, Deuteronomy 6. 
Deuteronomy 6. This comes out of the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, specifically. This is a very important passage for the Jewish people. Listen to verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. God is one. According to that and other verses, God is one. But we just read that there was God and the Word. Now, I'm not great at math, but that seems to be a problem. So there's ways of answering this problem. You can try to make these two, God and the Word, you can try to change the Word so that way it's not really saying that He's God, and that'll help answer the problem. Or we can try to read the rest of Scripture and figure out how is it possible that there could be two that are both God. Has your head exploded yet? (laughs) Not yet. Good. How many of you, we talked a little bit about this in Sunday school, have heard of the Trinity? Show of hands, Trinity. Okay, other than Lynn. How many of you understand the Trinity? Yeah? Yeah? To the degree that you're able to. Good, because I might call on you to explain it all to us. <laughs> Tell me the chapter and verse and book of where the Trinity, that word, is in Scripture. Who's got it? No one. Why? Because it's not in Scripture. It's not in Scripture. It's a term, three and one, that's used to help us to try to understand things like this. What are the persons of the Trinity? Can you say that together? God the God the Holy Spirit. So we know about the Trinity. We know about God, but it's kind of hard to understand sometimes. And that's okay. Hebrews 1, listen to this, talking about Jesus, talking about the Son. Listen to what this says. Hebrews 1, long ago at many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed to be heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is talking about Jesus. He's heir of all things. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In Colossians, listen to what it says. Again, about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. How many things? All All things. Through Jesus, through the Son. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. 
And he is before all things, and in, in him all things hold together. In Jesus, all things hold together. That's how important he is. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by his blood on the cross. So John starts off, and right away he's going to have a fight on his hands because the Jewish people of the time hold very much that the Lord is one, and so should we. Now, George, you're a business guy. George, you know math, right? Pretty well. Okay. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. How many is that equal? Four. Four. <laughs> Three. Three. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. You teach young children. One plus one plus one equals what? Three. Do you realize that the world thinks if you believe in the Trinity, if you believe in three and one, the world thinks you're absolutely nuts? Do you understand that? The world thinks you're crazy. Other religions would say, you've lost it as well. You're wrong. You're worshiping three gods. But we see scripture say, he's one. Three and one. What's interesting is that could seem to be a contradiction, right? How can three be one? We don't, as Christians, believe three persons are one person. Three persons, one person. That's a contradiction. What we believe is three persons, one essence, one being. One being. God expressed as three persons. He is three persons. But it's one being. So it's not a contradiction when you say three and one because you're talking about different categories. Persons and being. This is by far the most confusing thing in all of Christianity. The second you begin to talk about Jesus being God, you lose many people, especially those in the Muslim world. They say, no way. He's important, and he might be like second. But equal? How many of you believe Jesus is equal with God the Father? Equal. And the Spirit, they're all equal? Eternally existing. John's making the argument from the beginning here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now he changes. Check out verse 2. He gets more specific. He was in the beginning with God. Whoever this he is, is extremely important. All things were made through him, Verse 3, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, throughout church history, what's happened is people have tried to figure out how could Jesus exist? How could he have come? He had to be made. So ultimately, how many of you have heard analogies of how to explain the Trinity? You guys heard some analogies? 
Let me hear, let me hear one of the Trinity is like this. Let me hear one. A water. Water, steam, and ice. Water, steam, and ice. Me, myself, and I. Me, myself, and I. That's interesting. <laughs> Lit, listen carefully, and I'm going to try to go through a couple of these. Listen carefully. Every, every one of these are wrong. Every one. Every analogy to try to explain the Trinity turns into a heresy and it's wrong. It falls at some point. Because here's the problem. God is not like anything on this earth. He's infinite or finite. If we could explain him, guess what? He'd stop being God. We can't explain him fully. Can we understand some things? Absolutely. We can understand things that he's revealed to us in just general revelation. We see he's a creative God. He's a God of order. We see those things. But we can only understand so much. Do you remember a little bit of what was read this, this morning? Eric and Tim both reading again, talking about the ways of God and just how great he is. He's unsearchable. We can never fully understand him. So when we try to use analogies, they fail. We don't realize that they fail, but they do something wrong. And this is why we have to talk about this, because right thinking leads to right worship. And if we try to understand through these analogies, sometimes what we can do is we can actually bring us further away from who truly God is instead of getting us closer to him. What we have to do is be okay that there's going to be a tension and we're not going to fully ever understand it. It's, it is a mystery. We can do our best. We can read passages and we can try to figure this out some, but we need to be okay with the fact that he is just not like anything and thus we worship him. Does that make sense? So ice, molecules of water, steam, right? You have water. Sometimes it's, or you have H2, I guess. Sometimes it's water. Sometimes it's ice. And then sometimes it's steam. And that could kind of all be happening right around the same time. Why doesn't that work? Each individual molecule cannot be all three at the same time. You see? When you go to the, to the, to the basic level, one molecule can't be all three of those at the same time. Now, if you had a, a bucket of water or a bucket of ice and then it started to, to turn into liquid and there was some steam or something of that nature, you could say in general that's kind of doing it, but truly when you get down to the base of it, the molecules can't be all three at the same time. One individual molecule can't do that. So what actually happens is you're teaching something different about God. You're saying that his... He's different with the way he reveals himself. It's, called, it's a heresy called modalism. It's kind of like, comes from the theater days, but it's kind of like I put on a mask. and I'm, I'm, the, I'm, I'm playing, let's say, Satan in a play. I'm Satan. And then I'm the same actor, but then I go and I get a new mask. And I'm Jesus. And then I put the mask away, and now I'm a man. I'm the same one, but I'm doing all three at a different time. It's just putting on a different mask. No, these are three separate persons who exist at the same time. Think of Jesus' baptism. You guys know the story of Jesus' baptism? He goes down into the water. He comes up. The Spirit comes down on him. And the Father's speaking. You see the Son. You see the Spirit. And you see the Father all at the same time, right there. He's not changing roles real quick. All existing at the same time, interacting That's what's so incredible about the idea of God that Scripture puts forth. Do you realize that he doesn't need anything? Do you realize that God doesn't need anything? 
So now here, let's let this bake your noodle for a second. Why did he create anything? Why did he create anything? What was the point? Why would he need to create anything? Was he lonely? Did he need to learn to love? Did he need some praise? What's interesting about the triune God, this God that's existed, Father, Son, and Spirit forever, is even though it's, he's, he's one being, but in three persons, there's a relationship inside the Godhead. There's a relationship in the eternal love that's existed. There's no need. God doesn't need anything. He's created us for our benefit to have love, feel love, and worship Him, not for something that He needs. How many heard the eggshell? Egg. Look, it's one egg. You have the, the shell. You have the white stuff. What is that called? And, and then the yolk inside. What's the white stuff? Egg whites. That's creative. I just say the slimy, other slimy stuff in there. So some will say, look, all three of those, when you put that together, what do you have? An egg. Do you think the molecules that are in the yolk and the shell are the same? See what we've done? We've now separated the essence of who God would be. If we're like, well, Jesus is like the yolk, and God the Father is the shell, and the white stuff is the spirit, what you're doing is you're saying they're made from something different. No, they're made of the same. We can't do that either. So we have to be very careful. There's nothing that can explain God, and that's why we should worship him. All right, let's continue through the text. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So that means Jesus made everything. God decreed, the Father decreed that it would happen, and Jesus did it. Specifically, the Son. Why are sometimes we refer to Jesus as the Son, and sometimes we say, Jesus? Jesus was not at creation. Jesus was not at creation. The Son was at creation. The second person of the Trinity. He, the Son has always existed. Jesus came into being when God became man. When the second person of the Trinity, the Son, took on human flesh. That's when Jesus came into being. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? So the Son has existed eternally. We'll get into more on Jesus another time. So everything that was made, anything made that was made. Verse 4, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Congregation, I need you to hear that true life is only found in Jesus. If you do not have Jesus, you do not have life. And if you do not continually go to Jesus, you do not truly have life. You may be breathing for now. You may think you have meaning, but you don't. True life is only found in Jesus. That's where true worship takes place. That's where true love is shown. If you'll remember in 1 John, we talked about this life and that it's found in Jesus. Verse 5, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Just like back in creation when everything was dark and then God said, let there be light, and it comes. You know, the interesting thing about light is if there's light around, get where's the darkness? It's gone. By definition, you cannot have the darkness if there's light. When Jesus comes, certainly that's talking about the physical light, of course, 
But this is talking spiritually as well. In your life, if you have Jesus, you, you, you cannot have this darkness. If your heart, if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you trusting in Jesus, you cannot have darkness in your heart. And that's what's so incredible about him. And I love the way it ends with that. The darkness has not overcome it. Another way, another way of translating that overcome it in verse 5 is it doesn't even understand it. It doesn't comprehend it. So the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot even understand it. It can't even comprehend it. That's why people who are not Christians cannot understand why Christians say the things they say, which are hopefully good, and do the things that they do. Because the darkness doesn't understand the light. And we need to be very patient with our lost friends. Because they do not have the light, and they cannot understand the light. Last couple of verses. John switches after explaining this light and darkness. He switches. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is not the same guy who's writing the gospel here. This is John who? Gay. We are so proud. No, I'm joking. But sometimes you're like, John the Baptist, he's the first Baptist. We've been around forever. Why is he called that, really? Baptize Jesus. He's baptizing people, right? So John the Baptist, you can call him Baptist, baptizer. It's okay. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came to witness. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. This is where we're going to end for today. What an incredible thing to have said about you. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. If you know that John is Jesus' crazy cousin who goes out in the wilderness, is eating bugs, honey, wearing all kinds of interesting clothing. We all have, we all have that cousin. And once again, if you're not laughing, if you can't think of that cousin, <laughs> just so you know, it's you. But I want to end with this. Listen to this. This is incredible. And I wonder if this would be true of us. I wonder if this is true of you. That you're here to bear witness about the light. That all might believe through you. Is that, do you really want all to believe through you? Is that, is that the desire of your heart? I'm going to reach into my bag of tricks here. I get electrocuted, sorry. Kind of bright. This was the light, right? Scripture talking about Jesus being the light. He's the light. John came to bear witness. If I'm John, this is the light. Hey, the light's coming. You should trust in the light. Believe in the light. But then Jesus says something interesting in Matthew 5. Some of you remember this. I can't see now. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Well, who's the light? Is Jesus the light or are we the light? Jesus is the true light. He gives us his spirit, and we're to, in essence, reflect his light. Caleb, will you come up here real quick? Come around the back side. Do you follow Jesus? Yes, sir. Yeah, you have God's spirit living inside of you? Yes, sir. Say, he's got a mirror now. Okay? So even though the light exists, like this, what happens is, hopefully, he's going to reflect that light to each one of you, to everyone that meets him. Is that really bright? (laughs) I can see some of you are squinting. Does that make sense? This is what John was doing. He's bearing witness about the light. Thank you, buddy. As we end, that's what I want to ask today. Two big points. Number one, Jesus is God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he's God? And number two, are you like John, that in everything that you do, everything that you say, you're trying to bear witness to the true light so that everyone could come to faith? Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for the Gospel of John. We are thankful that we get to jump into this study together, Lord. And as it's, it started off, Lord, I, we're thankful that you've shown us through your word that you are a complex God. You are way above our understanding. You are insearchable. You are incredible. And Lord, we are thankful that you are that way because we wouldn't want to be able to fully understand something we're going to worship. No. Lord, help us to grapple with this. Help us to grapple with, throughout the week, who Jesus is and how could he be tempted by sin if God can't be tempted, but he's fully God and fully man, truly God and truly man. How does this work? Lord, help us to grapple with these things so that we can worship you better and so that we can give answers to those who don't know you. Lord, help us to be a light, to reflect your light to our community, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our nation, to this world. I pray, Lord, if anyone needs to respond during this time, that they would do so, whether in their chair or come forward. If they need to come to truly get to know you, to confess faith in you, I pray that they would do that today, believing in your son, believing in his life, his death on the cross as a payment for sin to appease your wrath. And after three days, he, he rose for our salvation. I pray that they would do that. If not, Lord, I pray you would deal with each one of us in ways that we can be a better light for you. In Jesus' name, amen.